Well, my life has been consumed by Operation Wedding, and so I felt like I'd just go with the tide. And I decided a couple weeks ago that I'd prepare today to preach on marriage, and I'm super excited about sharing these passages with you. In fact, uh, Lindley and I, in a week, are celebrating our silver anniversary, our 25th anniversary. That's another reason we felt encouraged to move in this direction. Yeah, we're excited about that. Well, you know, one of the great blessings of being a pastor is knowing that I lose a great deal of the effectiveness that I can have in ministry if I do not have a thriving, growing marriage. One of the great gifts of my calling is to know that if I am responsible for the reason my marriage fails, I lose my job. That is a great gift. And it certainly moves me to work hard at my marriage. You may not realize this, but it is very much the same for you. you. You may not be in a career where if you lose your marriage, you would lose your job. But when you lose your marriage, you discover that you lose far more than your job. You lose a great deal of effectiveness in life. And I think sometimes we forget that marriage is far more significant than sometimes we give attention to it. I want to encourage you this morning as we dig into God's Word just to respond to His Word. Now, something I've noticed over the last couple of years is God has been working in our marriage, in our church, that marriages are a part of that work. God is working in our church family. And one of the things that God does when He works in a church family is He brings things to the surface that need attention because He wants His church family to be responding to Him. And that means in our response to Him that He's often going to bring things out in our lives that need to be realigned with who He is so we walk before Him rightly as a church family. And one of the areas that inevitably happens to feel God's leadership in a church family when He's working is the area of marriage. I just want to tell you right now, be in prayer for our church family. Because there, is, there are a number of marriages that are coming to the surface right now in crisis, needing the Lord's intervention in their lives. And that's just the ones we know. We know there's a lot more under the surface there that's happening. And God just brings those things to the surface in order to align us with who he is so that we might make a path forward in honoring him. You see, God needs a healthy church to be the right kind of display of the gospel in a community. And a healthy church is certainly connected to the health of the marriages within the church. So today I want to talk with you about marriage, and one of the most instructive passages in all of Scripture dealing with marriage is Ephesians chapter 5. And so I want to turn to Ephesians 5 with you, and I want to start by reading the verse that sets the stage for some critical relationships in our lives. And the verse that sets the stage for three critical relationships in our lives is verse 21. Now, the three relationships critical to our lives are going to be talked about in this section of Scripture are marriage, parenting, and then the workplace relationship. 
Now, the workplace relationship, the principles that we can apply in that area of our life are going to be, be seen through the relationship between masters and slaves. There's principles in that relationship that's addressed in the Ephesians church that make its way into our lives in the workplace. So three critical relationships. Here's the umbrella. Verse 21 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The critical component, the foundation of these these relationships we all have in our lives is the fear of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been working through the book of Revelation. We're going to continue to do that until Jesus comes back. And uh, so we're digging into Revelation. If, If there's one thing that's clear about Revelation, it's that Jesus Christ should be feared. What does it mean to fear Jesus Christ? Fearing Jesus Christ is that set of emotions and attitudes towards Christ who is the judge of the world and the savior of those who place their faith in him. That set of emotions and attitudes that results in our faithful, trusting obedience and love for Christ. You see, the fear of Christ is always characterized By the love of Christ. Now, how can you have fear and love together? That's what we're being pushed towards here in Ephesians 5. The fear of Christ that's so characterized by love. I like to go camping. And when I go camping, particularly when it's nice and cool outside, I like to have a campfire. Like, this is not the optimal time for camping. You don't want to get in a tent and sweat all night, right? The great time for camping is in the winter time when you got cold enough air outside, you got to build a big bonfire. I love campfires. I love sitting around a campfire. I love talking around a campfire. I love doing things in the campfire that are really cool to watch, burning all kinds of things. I love getting a stick on fire and playing with fire. I love campfires. You guys like that? I, I'm like that. I love to sit around a campfire. It's a lot of fun. Now, here's the thing. I fear fire. I love a campfire, but I promise you this, I'm not going to get up and roll around in it. I'm not going to build a campfire inside my tent. I'm not going to douse my body with gasoline and then light the campfire. I love a campfire, but I fear fire. Jesus Christ is the righteous judge. He tells us, that he will not be mocked. And so I better not live in a way that makes a mockery of God. He tells us that we will reap what we sow. We better be careful what we are reaping. Jesus Christ should be feared. But Jesus Christ offered his life for us that we might, by trusting him, receive the forgiveness of our sins. He intends for us to experience fear of him that is characterized by a loving relationship of knowing him because he has forgiven all our sins. He wants us to fear him, but that fear of him should drive us to love him. The fear of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our response to everyone around us. We are to live towards everyone being subject to them 
because of our fear for Christ. Our love for Christ, our fear for Christ enables us to live around everyone being subject to them, considering their needs above our own, considering them and not just ourselves, using our life, all that we have, all that we are for their benefit because we fear Jesus Christ. We are to be subject to everyone else for their benefit because of Christ. That's the foundation of these critical relationships. And if you read through Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to see these critical relationships described in a way under that umbrella of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And it results in a radical kind of living. The first relationship that's talked about is the husband to the wife. The wife is to be subject to her husband as to the Lord. You catch that? The wife is to respect and honor her husband, not because her husband deserves it, but because Christ loved her. That's radical. The husband is called to love the wife in a sacrificial way like Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church. The church didn't deserve it. Jesus loved anyway. And the husband is called to love like that. That's radical. Children are called to obey parents, not because the parents make sense to the kid. Not because the kid thinks my parent is the wisest parent in all the world. No, the kid is supposed to obey the parent because God is faithful and good. And it's in honoring the parent that the child honors God. I would really love it if someday my kids came to me and said, Dad, we don't always agree with you. We don't always think you're the greatest dad in the world. In fact, we don't always respect what you say. We don't always feel like honoring you. But here's the deal. We want to honor you with all of our lives, all of our hearts, because God is faithful to us. So, Dad, keep messing up. We're going to keep honoring you anyway. I'd be like, man, this is the greatest day ever. That's radical kind of life. Dads are called to raise their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord so that their kids actually grow up and say, my passion is to fear Christ above all other fears so that I follow Jesus no matter what he asks from me. Dads are supposed to lead the way in raising their kids to abandon their lives to following Christ. That is radical. Masters and slaves, the relationship between those slaves are supposed to obey their masters in the Lord because of the Lord's faithfulness. Even if the master is a terrible master, the slave is still supposed to obey the master because the slave knows that Jesus Christ will not overlook any effort to obey an unkind master in light of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Now that's radical. The masters of slaves are called to serve their slaves in the same way the slaves are called to serve the master. Because the master, the Christian master, knows that he is really not the master. The Christian master knows that God is his master. That's radical. Every relationship that flavors our lives, our marriages, our families, our workplace, 
is intended as Christ followers to be radical in nature. Unlike the natural tendency of each of our lives, it's to be different because we're following Christ. Now, I want to focus in on marriage this morning. You can look in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 23 for the husband. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so wives also ought to be in their hus- to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives. You can read the rest of Ephesians 5 there as it encourages both husbands and wives to love each other. Now the wife is called to be subject to her husband, to respect her husband. Not because her husband deserves it, but because Jesus Christ loves her. That's a radical kind of life. To know that Jesus Christ's love for you is sufficient as a wife to be able to love your husband no matter what your husband does. Whether your husband deserves it in your mind or doesn't deserve it does not give you any more motivation or reason to love your husband than you already have if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, then Jesus Christ, because of his love for you, is sufficient to be able to love your husband no matter what he does. That's a radical kind of life. Now, I was encouraging Malin before they got married this past Saturday about honor and respect. I told Malin, I said, Malin, you know that I have spent a great deal of my life, the last 20 years of your life, loving you, protecting you, providing for you, encouraging you to follow Christ every day. I have spent so much of my time and energy encouraging you to follow Christ, loving you. Now here's the result of that two decades of a lot of effort in my life towards my daughter. She respects me. She really honors me. And I love that. And I know that her new husband, Micah, can't compete with me. (laughs) That feels pretty good. I'm 20 years ahead of him. (laughs) But that does not mean that Malin cannot respect and honor Micah, even though he does not yet deserve it. See, The relationship that I have had with Malin these 20 years has paved the way for her to give to Micah what Micah does not yet deserve. She knows how to honor and respect. She can do it. But here's what's even greater. The love and the faithfulness and the provision of Jesus Christ 
provides for every Christian wife everything she needs to give honor and respect to her husband even when he does not deserve it. The, the husband is called to love his wife with a sacrificial love as head over his wife. The husband is called to give his life for his wife in such a way that she becomes better than she could ever become without his loving support and leadership and headship over her. You see, Christ gave his life for the church so the church become, could become something the church could never become without his sacrificial gift. Men, we are called to love our wives in such a way that they can become all God intended her to become. We are to give love and leadership and godliness and sacrifice for our wives, even at our own expense. The church never deserved the love of Christ. The church, the world, deserved the judgment of Christ. But Jesus decided to give his life anyway. For the sake of salvation. Men, we are called to give our lives in love to our wives. Whether they deserve it or not. This incredible picture of marriage that's fleshed out right here in Ephesians chapter 5. Is a call for husbands and wives to love each other to be subject to each other, to honor each other, to serve each other, whether the other deserves it or not, because of Christ. It's because Christ has loved us so deeply that we can choose to love even if we don't feel loved. Do you know what that means? That the marriage is far more significant than we could ever imagine. You see, if we choose as Christian husbands and Christian wives to submit and to give and to serve and to sacrificially love each other because of the love of Christ, then we are effectively demonstrating the love of Christ for the church and the church's joyful response to Jesus in the way we love each other. Do you see that? If I choose to love Lindley, even when Lindley doesn't deserve it in my mind, then I'm showing the world the love of Christ. When Lindley chooses to love me, and I never deserve that, then she is resembling the love of the church for Christ. It is this beautiful relationship between Jesus and the church that's illustrated by the marriage. That's what this passage teaches at the end of Ephesians 5. This mystery is so great, Paul says, I'm not really talking about marriage. What I'm talking about is the relationship between Jesus and the church. The Christian marriage is a call to a radical kind of life because the Christian marriage is the illustration to an onlooking world that Jesus loves the church. This is so significant. You see, God is for your marriage. 
beyond what you could ever imagine because your marriage is for the gospel. The gospel is primary. God is for your marriage because your marriage illustrates the gospel. You know, Lindley and I occasionally go to one of those yogurt stores. You, know, you walk into one of those yogurt stores and the first thing you want to do in there is go get the little cups and sample the yogurt, right? You've done this before? You go into the yogurt store, you get the little cup, you go and you sample the yogurt. Well, Lindley likes to get the little cups, sample the yogurt. I like to get a few little cups, sample the yogurt. But here's the difference between me and Lindley. I get the little cups because I want to find what yogurt I want to fill my big cup with. Lindley, on the other hand, goes and gets the little cups and samples all the yogurt. And after she's done sampling all the yogurt, she's like, I'm full, I'm satisfied, I've tasted all the yogurt. And she doesn't want to fill a big cup. And I'm like, Lindley, you got to fill a little bit in the big cup. Even if you don't want any more yogurt, put a little bit in the big cup because you use all these little cups. And if you don't put something in the big cup, then this isn't going to work out so good. Because if everybody does what you do and you just come in and you get the little cups and fill up the yogurt and you never get a big cup, there's not going to be a yogurt store for people like me. <laughs> so we had this deal going on. You got to get the big cup. You know, everybody in this room that is married, aspires towards marriage, you want a happy Marriage, you want a fulfilling marriage, you want a satisfying marriage, you want marriage to be great. There's nothing wrong with those desires. Those desires are good and right. But those desires are the little cups. And if all you do is focus on the little cups, it's not going to work out like you hoped it would. Now the big cup. The big cup that we got to be filling up is faithfulness to Jesus Christ and is calling on us to a radical kind of life. I'm going to love my spouse whether my spouse deserves my love or not. I'm going to serve my spouse whether my spouse serves me or not because this is the call of Christ on my life and I am surrendered to Jesus because he loves me for the sake of the gospel I'm going to follow him that's the big cup and if we fill up the big cup we're going to discover just maybe we'll experience some of those little cups along the way but even if we never experience a little cup along the way we will not be disappointed because our big cup has been filled by following Jesus Christ you know if you're in this room this morning and you're single I want to encourage you you have an incredible gift in your singleness. The Bible describes it as undivided devotion to Jesus Christ and the cause of the gospel. If you are single, you are not divided in your devotion to Jesus Christ. You can pursue Jesus Christ with everything you are. That is a great gift to you, one that you should hold dearly and use for the glory of Christ. Here's what God does when he brings you to find somebody that you're going to marry when you lose the gift of singleness, being able to give undivided attention to Christ, Jesus Christ supplements the loss of that gift by designing marriage to reflect the gospel. So that both single people and married people have a gift in order to display the gospel because displaying the love of Christ to an onlooking world is the big cup all of us can fill whatever place of life we're in. The reason 
that God is for your marriage is because your marriage is for the gospel. Because of that, it is God's heart that we who are married stay married. That is the plan and the will of God for married people to stay married. There's a lot of places in the scripture that communicate this truth. Matthew 19 is one of the clearest. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And they're asking this question because in their day and time, divorces were occurring among the people of God. And the Pharisees want to know, is this okay? And so they ask Jesus Christ, hey, is it okay for people to get a divorce? And this is how Jesus answers the question. He says, what man has joined together, let nothing separate. Jesus answered the question in a way that gave substance to what Paul would later write in Ephesians. When God brings two people together in marriage, nothing should ever separate them. In other words, a Christian husband is to love his wife no matter what. A Christian wife is to love her husband, no matter if he deserves it. A Christian marriage is supposed to stay together. If you're married and you're following Christ, Christ is urging you to stay married no matter what. And that's exactly what the disciples understood Jesus was saying. Because at the end of this conversation in Matthew chapter 19, here's how the disciples respond to the way Jesus answers the question. They said this, if the marriage relationship is like this, perhaps it is better not to marry. If, if, if following you means the kind of radical life that moves me to love my spouse, whether my spouse deserves it or not, for the sake of the gospel, if that's the radical call of marriage as a Christian, maybe it's better not to get married because that's really hard. The disciples are hearing the narrowness of Jesus' instructions saying you're to stay married no matter what. And they respond by saying, whoa, that's way too hard. And here's how Jesus responds to the disciples. He says, if you want to follow me, you'll find that if you decide to follow me, you can accept this for the sake of the kingdom of God. If you live for the sake of the display of the gospel, you can accept that Jesus' heart is for you to stay married no matter what. Now, I recognize that there are some Places in Scripture, Matthew 19 being one of them, that talks about an exception where divorce can occur. But I wanna, I'm not even going to deal with all the exceptions that may be exceptions here because I want you to see the context of Matthew 19. Jesus talks about this little exception where divorce might occur. And when the disciples hear everything that Jesus has said, they respond by thinking that exception is so narrow that it's like no exception exists at all. There may be those rare exceptional circumstances when divorce happens. But for the people of God, 
It should be the exception. And I fear that in the church, we are gravitating towards turning what should be the exception into an excuse to end marriage. This should not be. Because it is God's will that we stay married. If you're here this morning and you've been divorced, I want to tell you something. You must get to the place where you fully accept God's forgiveness for that which you are responsible before the Lord. You have to experience and accept his grace and forgiveness. If you've been divorced and you feel like you've been walking around with a big D on your chest, I want to tell you that if you will get before the foot of the cross, if you will confess your sins for which you are responsible in that matter before Jesus Christ, he will forgive you of all your sins and there is no D left on your chest. Listen, and if you do that and you're before the Lord and you realize he's forgiven me, you know what, you can just, just look up and look around. You know what you're going to discover right there at the foot of the cross? All the rest of us who've not been divorced, but who have a heap of sins, no less significant than any of yours, that have driven us to the same exact place of receiving the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. If you've been in divorce, I just want to encourage you, you have been forgiven if you have sought the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And I encourage you to passionately pursue Jesus Christ from this day forward, forgiven and free. If you're remarried, like you've gone through this, you've remarried, hey, listen, again, whatever you were responsible for in past and sins, we all stand before the Lord as sinners, and we all can be forgiven in the same way. And here's the thing, your remarriage right now is in a perfect place to embrace what God says about marriage. Stay married. For the sake of Jesus Christ and the display of his gospel. And your marriage in a remarriage situation is no less capable of displaying the gospel every day of your marriage from this day forward. Stay married and display the gospel for the glory of Christ. I want to encourage you. To do in your life what's necessary to stay married by creating some simple patterns in your life. Pattern number one, you have got to spend time seeking Jesus Christ. You've got to saturate your life with the Word of God. You've got to spend time in prayer. You've got to make it a regular pattern in your life because you simply cannot display the gospel to your spouse on a regular basis in a way that reflects the love of Christ if you are not yourself beholding the love of Christ. You have to be refreshed and reminded of love, God's love on a regular basis and there's no better way to see the gospel than to open your Bible and let God's truth saturate your heart. Spend time in the Word. If you've not been doing that, the greatest way you can exhibit the fear of God characterized by love 
is by running to him today and to keep running to him day after day after day. The second pattern you can create in your life is resolving conflict better and better, more and more over the course of your marriage. You see, God reconciled you to himself through Jesus Christ, the greatest example of reconciliation, so that we might create in our marriages a pattern of reconciliation, constantly working on resolving conflict. If you do not talk about the things that need to be talked about in your marriage, it will bring about great difficulty. It's dangerous. I read a story about a lady who went in for a tonsillectomy. She goes into the surgery room, and the doctor proceeds to take off a portion of her foot. No less than seven people in the operating room were thinking to themselves, I wonder why this doctor is taking off a portion of her foot. But they all failed to say anything. Failing to say what needs to be said in your marriage is far more costly. You've been reconciled. To Jesus Christ, be a reconciler with your spouse. The third pattern that you need to create in your life is something that's really near and dear to my heart after this weekend. We put a lot of time, energy, and effort along with a lot of other people into a wedding day. I mean, it was unbelievable amount of time, energy, effort, and resources. Now, I don't regret any of that. I've not received all the bills yet, but I still think I'm not going to regret any of that. I love that we invested so much in the wedding day. And I'm convinced that God's more wrapped up in a wedding day than, than we can be. Because God loves weddings. He loves them. When a man and a woman join together, it displays the gospel. God loves wedding days. But God is far more concerned about marriages than he is about wedding days. And here's the question that I hope resonates in my heart every day of the rest of my life after yesterday. Am I more concerned about my marriage than I was about my wedding day? We have got to create a pattern of increasing concern for our marriages for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the church, and for the display of the gospel. There is so much at stake. God has called us to a radical kind of life. And the church is simply impotent in its display of the gospel if marriages are not surrendered to Jesus Christ. I read a funny story not long ago about a private who was assigned answering the phone in the armory. And he got the phone call in the army. This authoritative voice came over the phone and said, hey, I want to know how much we got in the armory and all factors and fashions. Just give me the rundown of the list. And the private starts listing out. We got so many tanks. We got so many guns. We got so many Jeeps. We got so many Humvees. We got so, many, so much ammunition all the way down the line. He goes, and to get to the end of the description, he said, oh, yeah, and we've got two Cadillacs for our big snobby generals. There was this pause on the line. Private, do you know who this is? No, sir. This is the general. A longer pause on the phone. And the private said, 
general, do you know who this is? No. See you around, snobby. (laughs) Hey, when no one's watching, when we think no one really knows who we are, don't we often think we can get away with a lot more than we otherwise would? Sometimes we forget that God is watching what we do in our marriages. And he cares about what we're doing more than we ever could. And he is ready to help every single one of us. And what we need to do is come clean before the Lord. And as a church family, be willing to surrender our marriages anew and afresh to Jesus Christ. To be willing to surrender our lives anew and afresh to Jesus Christ. There is no greater life.